1: this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have David Friedman, co-founder, president, and COO of Bio. The website is nanoviewbio.com. We're going to be talking about characterizing exosomes and extracellular vesicles, EVs. Dave, thanks for coming.
2: Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, for people that don't know, uh, what are extracellular vesicles and exosomes?
2: Yeah, um, I like to use the analogy that I heard before of conveying them they're like the twitter of cells so what they do is they are small tiny um, messengers that cells secrete all the time all cells secrete these and they're ways for cells to transmit biological information from one cell to the other so proteins microRNA um, other nucleic acids Um, and so they're critical in all parts of biology for intercellular communication and this is only recently discovered you know five ten 10 years ago. Um, And so they used to think that these were um, cells just secreting uh, trash or debris, but they're actually very important for all biological processes. So people used to think cells were just throwing out the garbage and that's what they were? Yeah, exactly. For many years. I think they were discovered in the 50s or 60s. And so they kind of lay dormant for about 30 years. And then, yeah, about 10 years ago, people really uh, found that they were just critical parts of of all biological processes. I think a lot of researchers are finding now that a lot of some of the science they discovered, you know, 20 years ago, these exosomes or EVs could have been playing a role in those discoveries.
1: Yeah, this is huge. Um, what, what, so what are the relative sizes of uh, most people's, uh, you know, somatic cells, and what are the sizes of the exosomes or EVs they put out?
2: Yeah, so I think the number most common is um, for regular cells, it's about 10 microns. 10 micrometers in diameter, you know, something like a fifth the size of a human hair. Um, And exosomes are, it's sort of hotly debated, but I think generally speaking, they're somewhere between uh, 30 and 50 to 200 nanometers in size. So I think by volume, they're about a million times smaller than, um, one exosome is about a million times smaller than a single cell.
1: Oh, wow. It must be very hard to find, I guess,
2: uh, in a lot of
1: analyses. I mean, they're in there, but uh, are they even viewable? Like, how would you how would you view
2: them? And can they be viewed? Yeah. Well, that's a great um, question. It's one we like to answer over at NanoView, because we have a great way to uh, visualize and characterize these exosomes. But generally speaking, they're um, much smaller than the wavelength of light, so it's difficult to use a traditional microscopy technique. So um, there are some technologies that are um, low throughput, like um, atomic force microscopy or Transmission Electron Microscopy, or TEM, um, those are very low throughput, but they're useful for getting really ground truth uh, information about what's going on. Um, but more commonly used for understanding your EV, your exocellular vesicle population, is a technique called um, nanoparticle tracking analysis. And what this does is it can tell you if you have nanoparticles circulating in your fluid and can count and size them. Um, but it is lacking in really uh, being able to easily measure any biospecificity or something related to those particles' biological prevalence.
1: How do people even know that these uh, these EVs are there if they're so small? Like, has anyone been <laughs> able to observe them in vivo, or is it completely impossible? And I mean, how were they found originally?
2: Yeah, so um, I think they were found originally, or uh, in their very early days, people thought they were trash in these. Um, transmission electron microscopy images. And then uh, there was a landmark study where it showed that they purified them, so they run a very laborious uh, purification process to try to get these EVs from typically cell culture or or in vivo from um, a blood sample. And then they take those EVs and they put them into another um, system, another cell culture um, media, and they should not have expressed a certain microRNA profile. And what ended up happening is, by putting in these EVs, they saw that the cells up uh, uptook them, and then started expressing these profiles. So that was sort of evidence that this was happening. Um, and so they have verified using uh, transition uh, transmission TEM, transmission electron microscopy. Um, they can purify these samples. So it's a very laborious, about eight-hour prep where you can get a, a very purified sample, and then they put them down on the on the um, the imaging grid, and then they were able to see these um, tiny vesicles.
1: Do you think that uh, these vesicles are responsible for most of cellular communication or just a small fraction?
2: I think that's a great question. I think it's one that we still don't know the answer to yet, but I, you know, my, my personal belief is that they're probably a critical part of that intercellular communication. I, mean, I think there's other things circulating in biofluids. But um, I think you'll find in the coming years that because they're able to package up these molecules, they can protect them in the bloodstream for longer. And so potentially they have a longer um, and then, and then uh, a more positive uptake in, in downstream cells.
1: So is there an organelle inside the cell that packages these and sends them out? And is there one that takes them into the cell and opens them up and you know, does something with the content?
2: yeah so i think those are open questions um i think there's some theories about that but i I wouldn't want to speculate on them today
1: is anyone ever again so when you observe these vesicles um you have to purify them and view them i guess in isolation and they're not they're not active they're dead or
2: um well so they're not active yeah, no, that's a good question. So I actually didn't fully answer your previous question, so let me answer both of them. So they're they're not active biological processes, so they'll contain similar um machinery, but not the active machinery to to generate things. So they will package up, say, some proteins or microRNA, but they're not uh, actively creating things. Um and to your earlier question, there are techniques that people have used, um, typically um fluorescent microscopy techniques to look at um, cell, uh, stained cells, and they have stained and genetically modified these, uh, some EVs to be able to, to enhance a um, fluorescent molecule, and then they'll use that to see that the cells uptake them preferentially, and certain types of cells will uptake specific EVs. So, they have used that as additional evidence. Um, to demonstrate the possibility of EVs being involved in all these biological processes.
1: Well, has anyone tried to um, put a given cell in the presence of, you know, know, thousands or millions of EVs that the cell would take up, let it take them up and stop the process at some point point, observe the cell internally and see if you can still find evidence of them intact in the cytoplasm of the cell or in various stages of disassembly?
2: So I don't believe people have – I'm not familiar with them looking at various parts of the cell, but they've definitely run studies similar to what you've described. And what they've seen is a longer, lasting effect. So, for example, the cells don't necessarily um, stop uh, showing that uptake uh, immediately, although the the effects do wane off after a period of time. I can't remember if it was um, multiple days or weeks. But they have run studies very similar to that, um, which are quite interesting. So it's still
1: like black box. It's like cell black box spits out these vesicles. You know, when they go into another cell, we don't know what happens to them. We don't know how they're made or packaged or opened up or utilized or or any of that yet, right?
2: Yeah, so I like the – I've heard this analogy. It's like immunology was 30 years ago. So, yeah, we're still uh, have a very – there's a ton to learn about these uh, EVs and exosomes and how they are made and how they're preferentially uh, packaging up cargo and how they then um, preferentially go to cells downstream from them. It's all really exciting stuff that that is um, I think on the forefront of technology and science.
1: And how many are put out by cells and how many are uptaken? I know it depends on conditions but
2: is there, yep. do cells
1: seem to put out just a few or tons of them? or?
2: It, yeah there, there's varying reports in the literature Um, I've heard numbers as small as tens, um, for some cells that are not under, you know, a great deal of stress, um, upwards of millions, um, for cancer cells that are just spewing them out. So probably somewhere in the middle (laughs) where you might, might see it, um, land in the future. But yeah, I think depends on the cell, the cell type, um, its environment, um, and things like that. So it varies dramatically.
1: What about the, uh, you know, The vesicles themselves, like, uh, I guess that's probably the first place to characterize them. Like, what's inside them? How much energy does it apparently seem to take the cell to prepare them? And then, you know, how are they used? What are they communicating?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of what uh, we're trying to do here at NanoView is understand some of these questions. So, you know, we've developed a platform that lets us look at the outside and inside of the exosomes in a high throughput way. And so, some of the questions we're trying to answer are around that. So, for example, we see common sets of markers. Um, This is reported in the literature, uh, the tetraspanins that are on a number of exosomes. Um, And, you know, one one question, for example, there's these three markers, is do exosomes contain all three? Do they only contain one at a time? You know, and what concentration? And so from our early studies, we're seeing it, you know, all types, right? We see some samples, some cells that are secreting exosomes that contain all three of these tetraspanins. Other cells that we're seeing, other cell types are secreting, um, you know, only one of these in abundance. So um, right now it's so early. There's no, I wouldn't draw any uh, specific conclusions, but a lot of exciting things happening.
1: Do they uh, appear to have internal structure or what's inside the uh, exosomes?
2: So uh, again, I like that analogy of the mini cell or the Twitter cells because essentially they contained um, uh, a, a bilayer, a lipid bilayer that kind of protects them. And then inside, it can really be anything. Uh, p- particularly, we see seeing proteins on, on the membrane or inside the EV or exosome. Um, and one of the most common things people study as well is uh, microRNA. We've seen also studies um, showing that potentially they also package up uh, DNA as well, fragments of DNA. So it, it's really like a um, – I like the, the example where it really just is this um, – Protector, this lipid bilayer, and inside it will contain something that seems to be preferentially packaged from the parent cell, but uh, not universal um, across the exosomes.
1: Is there any activity going on in an exosome, or is it just passive, floating around and then binding?
2: Is it just a container or something? It's yeah, I think of it more as the latter. It's really just a container. Um, what what causes it to do preferential activity is the markers on the surface. So they'll often express uh different surface markers. Again, that's where those tetraspanins that we were talking about earlier are commonly um shown to be on most exosomes. Then there'll be other surface markers, um, for example, something specifically targeting um a cell to um from a cancer cell. So there's been papers showing uh, integrins will be on the surface and that these will seed metastatic sites. So a lot of things can really be on there. But I, I think of it more of a passive um carrier as opposed to kind of an active process.
1: Do they, uh, do they only appear to bind to cells? Or do they, um, I mean, so they float around. I guess they go through interstitial fluid. They go through the bloodstream. I mean, are there, so many questions. Are there places in the body that they preferentially go? Can they go anywhere?
2: They seem to be implicated in all areas. I mean, one, some studies are showing, uh, there's a lot of excitement about looking at them for neurodegenerative disease because they're believed to cross the blood brain barrier. Um, and then there's other studies that, for example, have shown that, um, pancreatic cells will secrete, uh, exosomes that will specifically target the lung and, um, other organs. And so that's potentially why uh, metastatic sites from specific cancers will um, see different meta- specific metastatic sites, remote sites. So I don't know exactly why that's happening, but there are studies showing that that is, um, seems to be the case.
1: Well, for instance, in cancer, is it, is it believed that the exosomes itself are being absorbed by normal cells turning them cancerous or is it i don't know is there is there any scouting and reporting back mechanism or is it once the exosomes are out of the cell they're not coming back Is like a one-way communication
2: yeah yeah that's a good question yeah i think i think i've seen mostly the the latter where that they are they're not scouting and reporting but they're actually going out and kind of um more like um scouts only or or Really, their artillery just being deployed remotely. I guess maybe covert, covert action, <laughs> like Navy SEALs is more appropriate because a small number of them will then go there and kind of set up shops to make them, um, appropriate for cancer cells to then come off and, um, m- metastasize. So there was a landmark study, I think it was, um, almost two years ago now showing that these exosomes create these preferential niche sites for cancers to then come, uh, cancer cells to, um, start growing. So they'll, they'll seed that site is, is kind of the studies that I've most recently read.
1: So that means what they'll, they'll bind to existing cells in a given area. And then when cancer cells migrate around the body, they'll see the markers and then they'll, they'll stay there and attach and that'll start a new site for a metastasis. For instance?
2: Yeah, more or less. I think that's a pretty good analysis of what, um, the studies i've read
1: but there's no uh i mean i guess to put it frankly the exosomes are not alive there's no complicated sophisticated action that they undertake there's no i mean you know what if they formed something like a biofilm essentially or if they were able to have some
2: kind of action on their own besides just being containers well, well they can through the delivery of that um cargo so some of that cargo so that cancer analogy i think is an example of that so they'll basically lower the barrier uh, the activation energy for uh, a cancer cell to to then uh, metastasize somewhere else so they're delivering cargo now what that cargo is don't really know i think that's um, one of the things that we're trying to study here at nanoview but that potentially is delivery of some mechanism so typically it's microRNA. Or proteins and so then they'll down regulate or upregulate different biological functions in the delivery cell it's just amazing
1: though because i i know of no other well i, I don't really know i think of other viruses are a
2: good analogy <laughs> they're not necessarily replicating they're delivering but i think a virus I, I mean we did a lot of work with viruses when originally developed this company and i think we pivoted in the exome space because For us, it was very similar from a technology development perspective. We had a platform that can look at biological nanoparticles based on their surface markers. So, of course, viruses use um, their uh, host cells' machinery to then replicate and infect others. Um, I don't like to use that analogy with exosomes, but they have surface markers and contain cargo very much like a virus, and so they're they're doing. something like a virus in that sense. But it's not an analogy we like to use, um, but I think it helps, at least for me, understand kind of the biological mechanisms and that they're delivering something and then causing the cell to do um, something different.
1: So do you think they're, they're also, again, attaching or entering normal cells and turning them into cancer cells? I,
2: I have not seen studies that say that, but that is possible. I think that's a hard question to answer about whether they're causing the genetic mutation, but they, they can typically um, upregulate or downregulate different activities.
1: Well, by doing so, I guess it's possible they could turn on oncogenes, possibly, and uh, change a cell into a cancer
2: cell. Maybe, M- maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't wanna. I haven't read enough studies to be confident to state that, but that I mean, that seems like a reasonable um, hypothesis that should be tested.
1: Well, have people tried to culture exosomes Have they taken a cell population? you know, harvested their exosomes, cultured them to large amounts, and then injected them back into, let's say, a mouse to see what kind of effect it has on the mouse?
2: So they have, but I'm I'm not familiar with the cancer studies. I'm much more familiar with the studies where they're using them for regenerative medicine. So uh, there's a lot of companies that are using um, exosomes. So they typically were uh, stem cell therapy companies. And what they found is that They can take the exosomes instead of the stem cells and have the same kind of therapeutic effects where if they inject um, a large number of these exosomes into a diseased um, person or animal, they can recover that function. Um, For example, there's ocular regeneration or cardiac regeneration from these exosomes. So those studies seem to implicate that, that what you describe should be happening as well. I'm just not as familiar with those studies
1: no I just think it's so fascinating, I know, like I know spewing out questions
2: like self so spew out exodus, but no there's
0: great.
2: so many I mean it's super exciting I mean I think that's what we got so excited about as well just, um, the space is exploding there's so much to be um to be learned, and so I think that's what we got so excited about here at nanoview
1: so what what's your focus what what is what area of this whole new field essentially are you focused on?
2: So we're ho- we're focused on helping um, other people develop and answer these questions. So um, I think when we started this, what we learned is it was very very difficult to, especially without that laborious purification step, be able to understand what's going on with these exosomes. So the traditional workflow is to do ultra to get a you know really purified sample that's pretty pretty low throughput. Then they'll take that and then they'll run it through NTA to make sure that they actually have nanoparticles and then they'll run kind of either western blot or some other um assay to understand that there's some biological properties that they're looking for and so what we've done is collapse all that into a single step and that allows us to um really understand what's going on in a high throughput way so we can run many samples here and we can do it um without doing that uh purification step and then we get we collapse and get the nanoparticle size and counts along with its biological activity So I think we're helping answer um, companies that are developing liquid biopsies or diagnostics using these exosomes, as well as companies Mm. developing and and researchers that are developing new therapeutics. Because these are natural biocarriers and they can load them up with therapeutic cargo and deliver them to specific cells through those markers, there's potentially a huge opportunity for uh, new classes of therapeutics. So all those things combined are what get us really excited.
1: How many, for for a given cell, how many different types of exosomes does it appear to create? Are there many different flavors and, you know, in response to different stresses, does it make completely different exosomes or does it stay within a
2: narrow range of production? So I think that's a really interesting question. I think the assumption is that there's different um, exosomes being secreted under different stress types, Um, but coming up with kind of a unique fingerprint for exosomes is something that we're actively working on. And so I think the question is what defines a specific class of them. So that that I think is still being answered and, and you know we're working to help the community understand this, but is three markers defining it? Is it you know 10 markers on a single exosome? So what we're seeing is that there's a whole uh, potpourri of different types of exosomes coming from just, um, for example, a single um, cell culture. But yeah, I think understanding if these are similar, the size difference making them different, I think those are questions that we're helping answer.
1: And I wonder how our cells in our body filter. I mean, so I would think that, you know, in our body there's just crazy amounts of exosomes everywhere, which would create a ton of noise. You know, let's say I'm a, you know, I'm a heart cell. I would only care, I'm sure, about certain exosomes and most not. How do I filter them? How do I get through the noise? And still do my job, and you know, not be overwhelmed by it.
2: Yeah, I think that, that comes down to what's on the surface of those EVs, and then what cells will um, kind of accept them for delivery. I think those are kind of really interesting questions, and so people are um, looking at PDL1 and PDL uh, or PD1 for amino oncology, and understanding why uh, some exosomes are upregulating or downregulating activity um yeah it's a really interesting question think still think very early though for but but you are right that there's a lot of exosomes um circulating in everyone's body and so understanding why some are going somewhere and some are going another place it's a really interesting question
1: well how would even a (laughs) cell know okay i'm going to make an exosome that's going to target these cell types i mean how would they it's just weird the whole question how would they even know yeah (laughs) what to make i mean Has anyone done this? Has anyone taken, for instance, all the cell types in the human body, characterized their outer layers, and looked for differences? Because then maybe perhaps you can create a map of, okay, for a given exosome, which cell types could this interact with? I wonder if you could do something like that to create this crazy map of
2: the possible interactions and stuff. Yeah. No, I think that's a really interesting question. I think I'm not aware of work like that done in the field, and I think it is... Incredibly difficult just because of the traditional techniques, low throughput, and the ability to, to accurately characterize the, all these samples. Um, so maybe with better technology, like what we're developing in the that can help answer that question. Um, I know that they have looked, for example, at different cell types in culture to understand how many um, exosomes they can produce. And so one kind of common cell type used in the field now is mesenchymal stem cells because they secrete more exosomes than um, most other cells, so at least mm. in culture. Um, so those, I, you know, I see those commonly referred to in the field, and I think it's because an earlier study kind of found that they secrete more exosomes than, than other cells, which makes sense, they're you know early, early cells, so maybe they're doing more um, scouting work or, or things like that in terms of figuring out what the kind of cell they should be. I'm, I'm not really sure why it is, but I think it's really interesting that that was found. I mean, even within
1: a given organ, you know, let's say again, uh, the heart, how do the cells know how to coordinate within that organ to achieve its function? So maybe there's a class of exosomes that are just cell type specific. So they, they know that this is targeted for other heart cells like me or, and then there's a class that are targeted for, you know, not me, other organs, other parts of the body, other cell types. Maybe there's that hierarchy of, of exosomes, yeah, different types.
2: I, th- I think there are some of those. Uh, I'm not familiar with them. I, I know that we're working to develop things like a, a cardiac panel and other things that are specific to different organs. Um, so that, that is the case. I'm just not familiar with which markers those would be. The, the, um, and, and to your kind of biological question, I mean, why did, they, why did they package those things specifically? I think those are a really interesting question.
1: Yeah. Well, here's something even crazier. So our um, <laughs> microbiome. Does our microbiome create exosomes that interact with our cells and vice versa? And is there communication going on that way?
2: Absolutely. I mean, that, that could be happening. I I know I've read a number of, um, different microbiome created exosomes and you you know, what interaction is happening between the the host and the the microbiome that those are really interesting questions. I think, um, people are starting to study in the literature, uh, and how they're affecting it, that those are all kind of really interesting things.
1: Yeah. I'm also wondering about, you know, conception too, like sperm and egg. You know, I wonder if the egg is putting out all kinds of exosomes that are telling the sperm something and the sperm are doing something and then maybe one puts out preferential exosomes that allow it to access when others don't and if there's any evaluation and vetting there before like fertilization occurs instead of
2: just like mechanically trying to burrow into the egg. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I I know we've looked at reproductive fluids and we do see exosomes in there, so there must be. I don't know if they're coming from the sperm or or the egg. Um, I'm not sure. I want to make that claim, but I I do know that there are uh, exosomes in those fluids, so something is going on there. Sure. Yeah, there's a whole new field. It's crazy. Yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, like you said, the immunology was. You know, we know so much more now than we did 30, 40 years ago. Um, I feel like the exome space is, you know, you have all these really exciting questions. I think people are really trying to answer them. Uh, And that's where we come in and we help them. I think we're helping answer those questions for researchers. And and I think, you know, we're going to look back in 10 years and we'll know so much more than we do today. Um, So it is really exciting. And I think what we'll see is a lot of um, diagnostics and therapeutics that come out from all this research.
1: Hmm. Well, if you ever run out of questions, let me know. I've got like 8 million more.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, of course. Yeah.
1: So what are all right? So there's millions of things that could be done. What are what are some of the focuses that you have? You know, what are some? I don't know two to five year projects that you're uh, you're working on that you want to you think you think will come to fruition?
2: Yeah. So um, in the exosome space, I think the the largest interest is around oncology. So I think um, there's obviously a lot of research happening in that space and a lot of exciting um, findings. And I think. That's probably the most one of the most advanced areas and so there is for example a um, a clia test on the market for um uh prostate cancer and so using uh, exosomes and cell-free dna so i think that's kind of you know at the front edge of of what's being used for exosomes so oncology immuno-oncology space um and we we're, we're looking at developing immuno-oncology uh, panels in collaboration with our partners that we hope become Kind of a standard offering for all customers um and then the other kind of hot topic area is neurodegenerative we sort of touched on that briefly um because there's a belief that they cross the blood-brain barrier there's the thought that potentially diagnostics or therapeutics for neurodegenerative diseases could be developed um, without being invasive and getting you know into the brain so that uh, area is uh, exploding, and again, we're excited about the developments we're doing here at Nanaview for that. Um, the other two areas that you see a lot of research papers coming out is uh, cardiac. So that's, that's another area that people are doing active research in, as well as uh, reproductive um, reproductive biology, I guess, and, you know, looking at um, in vitro fertilization or, you um, uh, diseases such as, um, I'm blanking on it, uh, well, we'll pretend I didn't say that. So uh, women's okay, reproductive okay. health, yeah, that um, area is also a lot of uh, diagnostics, non-invasive diagnostics are are looking to be developed there. Um, and then, as I mentioned previously, I'm really excited about the therapeutic space because I think the ability to package up therapeutic cargo with specific uh, targeting markers is kind of a holy grail for therapeutic development. And so if people can, and these are natural biological molecules, so they can evade the immune system longer because they, they present some of the same um, non-pathogenic uh, markers on their surface. So the potential for better therapeutics, uh, I think, is is huge. Um, so that that's one of the space that we would like to work with our partners to help advance that field as well.
1: Have, uh, have people observed that bacteria put out uh, you know their own yep. types of exosomes or viruses absolutely
2: or yeah uh, viruses not so much but um definitely bacteria i've seen a number of posters at different conferences where people talk about the potential for using them um there's been some that i thought were a little um out there i i'm not remembering the titles exactly but that they um i think related to like malaria and how the exosomes can help i think uh increase the infection because the uh, bacteria in the mosquito are helping up um, to reduce the barrier for the infection. So there's things like that. So bacteria are definitely uh, one of the interesting areas to study and obviously it's a nice system to also study under.
1: And I guess if if, uh, you were to create a protocol, let's say something that that gets injected into the bloodstream and it sucks up a particular type of exosome and binds it, that may be a way to resist infection way to stop cancer, metastasis, et cetera.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that there's potential. Well, I, th- I think maybe injecting, you know, specific classes of exosomes could, uh, you know, with different specific uh, makeups, both on their outside and inside, their, their cargo and their unique identifier on the outside, that, that could have the potential for um, the ability for diseases to replicate. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, to stop, again,
1: uh, you know, some kind of bacteria or from infecting us. Again, if it put that a certain type of exosome, if we were to make an exosome sponge, for lack of a better word, that we can inject, you know, that would suck them all up so that the bacteria couldn't take hold or make it much harder to do its job to attack us, it's just an idea. Yeah,
2: you mean like some exosome decoys or something like that?
1: Yeah, or again, like a sponge yeah. to, to, to suck them yeah. up to take them out of the
2: uh, the, the fluids Yeah, that's an interesting, interesting idea. Well, it sounds like there's a... ridiculous amount of science to be done still. I think there's still a lot of work. I mean, it's a a lot. Obviously, it's really exciting because, you know, as I think I just read um, an article that came out today about not using, um, they were putting, I think, exosomes on, on skins to prevent wrinkles. So there's some, there's a lot of work being done in the exosome space. I think cosmetics, there's been a number of different companies started up to use exosomes as a I think a topical cosmetic and they seem to be selling products. So, I mean, I don't know I don't know about the science. I haven't really investigated these things, but um I think it's interesting that, that people are looking towards them as a um, alternative solution. Yeah.
1: So, um, all right, so some resources for listeners, how can they find out more about
2: Nanoview Bio and you know get in contact? Yeah, so I'd recommend, you know, the best place for information is uh nanoviewbio.com. Um that's where we have most of our uh, public information. Um, you can also check us out at Twitter at Bio and, um, and look for us on LinkedIn as well.
1: And I, I haven't asked this before, but what, any keywords that come to mind? You, know, you said you read this study, you saw this, you saw that. Hey, what keywords do you use or can listeners use to search and learn more about this space in general? I guess exosomes, extracellular vesicles, anything else?
2: Yeah, exosomes, extracellular vesicles are probably the most common terms. Um, to really learn about the community in the field, I recommend um, the two international um, sort of central bodies. So the uh, International Society for Extracellular Vesicles that will be in um, that annual conference will be in Philadelphia next year, um, and then also the uh, journal for the Society for Extracellular Vesicles, the JSEV, JSEV. Um, that is a uh, open access journal that um, is focused on the exosome community. So those are, I think, excellent resources that you can um, check out. And those are by the kind of um, global scientific community focused on advancing exosome development. Okay.
1: Excellent.
2: Well, it's been a great call. I'm excited. Wonderful. You're excited. Awesome. So, uh, yeah. I yeah. coming. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Richard. This is fun.